Welcome to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm Mike Crump here with Pastor Nathan Smith, and on today's episode, we'll be looking at the, I can't even say that word, tumultuous life of the prophet Elijah. Nathan, I can't read what I wrote. Tumultuous. It's tumultuous. Thank you very much. Upsetting. Chaotic. Thank you, Mr. Thesaurus. Keep going. All right. Uh, but before we get there, we actually have a question um, that was submitted about King David from one of our previous shows. Um, this person who wrote, she says, I think the amount of killing and violence feels discouraging and truthfully confusing as I try to incorporate that into my understanding of God. And she goes on to ask, how are we to reconcile David being a man after God's own heart and yet also a man who committed great Violence. I think this is very hard for us, especially in a world and in a nation that doesn't see a whole lot of the violence that maybe we would have experienced back in the time of David. So how can we reconcile or address this violence and David being a man after God's own heart? There is always a place to stop and deconstruct the words we use and say, what do we mean by them? Mm -hmm. If I say the word, I think we said this in the last podcast, uh, if I say the word prejudice, Mm -hmm. in our modern mindset, we equate with uh, ethnic prejudice or skin color or linguistic prejudice, Uh, but it actually has much broader usage than that. Mm -hmm. When we say violence... Violence is a word that wholesale is negative in our in our verbiage, in the way we talk. Mm-hmm. There's not really a good example of saying positive violence. Yeah, Violence is wholesale negative. Yeah, When we talk about David and we talk about the killing and we talk about the warfare, mm-hmm. it is violence, but it's much more than just only a negative iteration. Mm. So with that in background, yeah. and I'm sorry, we're, we're taking a little bit more no, time. No, no, that's fine. It, it's, this it's is frankly important. a fairly yeah. extensive question. Um, first of all, the question of being David being a man after God's own heart. Uh, that doesn't mean that everything David did was after God's own heart. Yeah. We know that he was a sinner. We know that he had struggles. And those are certainly things not after God's own heart. Yeah. I think the bigger question is how do we reconcile all of this death with things that evidently God commanded David to do mm. or sanctioned mm-hmm. that involved the killing yeah. and involved warfare. Yeah. When we talk about death and warfare and fighting and the killing, David was a man of the law. He endeavored to actually keep the law and understand and to value life and yet stand for justice. Mm. And sometimes justice means the implementation of what we would categorize as violence, Mm -hmm. but I would actually retool it and say requires the implementation of the destruction of evil. Mm. And we talk about God being a warrior, Mm -hmm. God himself uh, in Revelation 19 being a destroyer, yeah. even in the book of Exodus, he there's the destroying angel, yeah. and yet these things were eminently good because they flow from God. Mm-hmm. It's because God is walking out the destruction of evil, mm. the destruction of injustice, and sometimes that is messy. Yeah, And God is big enough to even use the apparent chaos of violence to accomplish ends that we don't always fully understand. Mm. How could God the Father ordain violence, the crucifixion, 
against his own son, Jesus Christ, and yet out of that produce something mm. beautiful. Mm. Never, never underestimate God's ability to take something that we see as wholesale negative and turn it around into something beautiful. Yeah. But when we talk about violence, we are not talking about the careless destruction of life. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the enjoyment of destroying and ending other people's lives. All of David's actions that we see again and again, all let's say just kind of a generic yeah. statement, um, were in protection of the innocent, were in warring against those who were seeking the destruction of God's people, mm-hmm. and at times even warring against tribes within Israel who were not doing the will of Yahweh. Mm. But he was attempting to uphold a standard of justice and righteousness and holiness. Yeah. This is a very nuanced, and sometimes with, to those of you listening, and if you, you ask this question, there's probably other aspects that we did not touch, and mm-hmm. I want to recognize that this question of how do we reconcile justice and judgment mm-hmm. and violence with the character of God, that is a that is a very broad conversation. Yeah. So we kind of hit some points of it. Yeah. But if you have any follow-up questions, please reach out and let us know, I would say, because there's a lot of implications about it. There are. We know that God is always good. We know that David was an instrument of God's goodness. And we even see in the Old Testament that God at times used what is apparently wrong in our minds Mm -hmm. to accomplish perfect goodwill. And it's not wrong to struggle with that. Yeah. Habakkuk, remember that famous thing? Mm-hmm. It's like, God, how could you use the ba- the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to accomplish your will and judgment? They're a violent, mm-hmm. evil people. And God said, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And eventually Habakkuk had to say, God, I trust your character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it into your hands. And ultimately, it is a matter of faith in, in a lot of these things, trusting the very nature of God and who he is. He is trustworthy, and he Always. is good, and he is righteous. And so all that he does is good. And so even if it is by means that are difficult for us to understand. Uh, We did address more of this question uh, on episode 16 when we talked about the violence of the conquest with Joshua. So if you want to hear more about this kind of discussion, that would be a great episode. I would echo that. That is a really important episode because we talked in a little bit more detail about some of those complicated questions. Yeah. Now, God did use David um, to enact judgment on various people groups and uh, city-states and those kind of things, Um, but God also didn't always use that kind of justice. Sometimes the Lord would bring about a prophet who would go and speak very clear judgment upon a nation that was going to happen, and one of those prophets uh, we actually talked about last time, which was Jonah, great discussion there, and today another prophet is Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of those well-known prophets we read about in the scriptures um, who did a lot of interesting and really powerful signs and wonders, but he was also a very troubled guy. And he wrestled a lot with even anxiety, some depression, it seemed, and just hopelessness, even after God's victory. So before we get into some of that, Nathan, can you kind of give us an idea of who Elijah is and uh, maybe when he was prophesying? Uh, Elijah is the archetypal 
Old Testament prophet. Mm. If you were to think of a prophet, it would be Elijah. Yeah. Even the New Testament refers to Christ being in the spirit of Elijah, or even the forerunner John the Baptist being in the spirit of mm. Elijah. And people even assume that even when Jesus was dying on the cross and they said that, who is he calling out for? Elijah. Uh, th- there's this different references of understanding he's a powerful spokesman of God mm. in the Old Testament. Elijah was someone who operated, again, during a very tumultuous period of Israel's history, Mm -hmm. and he was an instrument of God's grace to Mm -hmm. say, you need, there's a cliff coming, and you're about to drive off of it. Put on the brakes, repent, and turn back to God. But Elijah also had a personal cost that it cost him to follow God. And inherent in the story as we talk, we'll see that the path of following God doesn't mean that it will be without scars. Mm. That means it won't be without hurts. Mm. Um, There's an aspect in which we fill up the sacrifice of Christ as the New Testament says. Peter Mm. says this, you know, we're filling up that which is lacking. In other words, that we're the following Christ, we're going to continue in his footsteps, and there's going to be a price, persecution, even scars. And we see some of the practical ramifications of that, even with Elijah. So as we read about these prophets and uh, Elijah specifically, um, the question kind of comes to mind, why would somebody want to be a prophet? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) I don't know if anybody would want – I don't know if I'd want to be a prophet. (laughs) Because it doesn't sound like – I mean, yes, there's the one sense that you're speaking on behalf of the Lord, and that's a – it's a huge responsibility in of itself. You're seeing signs and wonders sometimes, not all the time, probably not most of the time. You're just out there basically crying into the wilderness in a way. Um, and then there's a lot of persecution and hatred towards you. Um, so how does somebody become a prophet? I mean, is something that, that, that Elijah yeah. sign up for this? Was this? <laughs> it's not an aspirational <laughs> office. Yeah. It's not something you aspire to be. It is something that you are chosen mm. for. The God of heaven says, I am going to send you, Jonah, yeah. to Nineveh. Elijah, I am appointing you to be yeah. my spokesman to Jeremiah, you are going to. And by the way, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because how many times he's like, God, I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, he, yeah. he struggled with his he calling. Did. But God had implanted within him a fire Mm. to speak on behalf of God. And so even Jeremiah said, this is hard. I don't like it, but I have a fire in my bones, Mm. and I will waste away if I keep silent. So the Holy Spirit had so descended on these men in power that they could not not speak out. I do love that about Jeremiah, and I, and I, I can't help but think that that's probably what a lot of these men felt, was that there was this fire in their bones. They had to speak for the Lord, uh, and it compelled them to continue this. And we see Eli- Elijah just right on the scene, uh, the first like mention of him is, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except for my, by my word. This is him just speaking to King Ahab right out of the gate. Um, basically saying there's not going to be any rain because of your sin. This is a punishment because of what he has done. So who is King Ahab? I mean, where, where, where does he come into play here, and why is Elijah speaking against him? King Ahab is one of the most evil of the kings in the divided kingdom. Mm-hmm. And Ahab uh, married uh, Jezebel, who mm-hmm. was really the archetypal prostitute sinner. Mm. She was the one who not only led um, her husband astray, but also led 
great swaths of Israelite society into the worship of Baal, mm. Baal. And Baal, by the way, is a generic term that yeah. means Lord or it refers to a variety of pagan deities. So sometimes even in the Old Testament it says they worshipped the Baals mm-hmm. in plural. But Baal or Baal, there was a singular deity that was seen as kind of like the the Thor of the ancient world. Okay. I don't know how else to say it. He was the thunder god, the, but also the god of fertility and, and life and rain. He was Did he have a hammer? Uh, no. Okay, just I, I don't just think checking. so. Actually, that's a good question. <laughs> but now because you put that thought in my mind, I'm going to go research <laughs> You're going to research that one. Uh, okay. You know, I'm going to have to go look at that. Yeah. But King Ahab's an evil man. Mm. His wife is evil. They together generate much false worship and hostility against Yahweh and people who profess Yahweh. Yeah. And so we see... Elijah coming, and he speaks against Ahab because of all this. Um, and he says that, hey, there's not going to be any rain, and you guys are going to have to deal. And But we see him throughout this uh, this book, or really these chapters um, in 1 Kings, kind of going from victory to retreat, victory to retreat. Um, as we look at this in the life of Elijah, what are some of the major themes that we see in his life that kind of help us understand who he is and also how God interacts with his people and his prophets? There is, first of all, I've been to the the mountaintop, Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. Actually, you and I were there yeah. when we went to Israel. And, and whether that was the exact mountain peak, we were within probably a mile or two. Yeah. It's a very, very prominent feature, that spur of mountains that runs all the way down to the Mediterranean. And there's a famous event there where God calls Elijah to confront mm. all the prophets of Baal, you know, to gather down into a cosmic showdown whose God is bigger and mm-hmm. stronger. Mm-hmm. And I, for those of you who maybe be listening who don't know the story, you know, he digs, he, they both build altars. Um, and the, the prayer is whichever God answers in fire is the true God. Mm. All these prophets are cutting themselves and, and just a horrific debauchery yeah. of demonic oppression and worship are calling down fire and nothing happens. And now, Elijah's like mocking them, which Elijah's is kind of interesting. Them. He's like, well, hey, maybe he's asleep or maybe he's going to the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, he is really laying it on thin. Yeah. I've always wondered, now we know Satan to be a being of great power. Mm-hmm. Um, Satan is not just sitting there in the backdrop hmm. not doing anything. Yeah. I mean, do you think that if he could he would have rained down fire in order to further the deception? You would you would think so, for I sure. I mean, you, you almost can think, like, here's Satan screaming over here on the left, and God has his hand over there like, no. Yeah. You have no power or authority here. Mm. You're not going to be able to do anything. I am totally silencing you, Satan, and yeah. your deception, and I'm going to show who I am, and there mm. is nothing you can do about it. Now, it's a lot of paraphrase. Yeah. But we know that there's a cosmic warfare raging. There is in that backdrop. And then uh, Elijah then goes to his altar, soaks it with water, soaks the wood with water, soaks everything, digs around a trench, and the trench fills with water. And then in one prayer of humility, doesn't go into this frenzy, just Mm. one prayer of humility, this fire comes down out of heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the rocks, and consumes everything in that mound. And in that moment, Yahweh is to shown to be true. Mm-hmm. And then Elijah goes on a killing spree. Yeah. He slaughters, by instruction of God, all these prophets of Baal. So you go from this major victory mm-hmm. to then he is a man of blood. And after this great victory, 
Now, not a man of blood in, in a negative sense. Yeah. He's exacting the judgment, judgment of yeah. God. Which, if you struggle with that, remember the prophets of Baal, these these guys sacrificed kids. They were horrifically evil people. Mm. So he is doing not only the will of God, but practically even a public service yeah. by eliminating these scourges from society. Great victory. After that demonstration of power, there's been a drought going on, and now God is going to show his further strength and power by bringing rain. Mm. Now remember Baal, he's the god of rain and yeah, thunder, thunder and fertility. And, yeah. and they couldn't get fire to come down and they couldn't conjure up any rain. And now God brings down fire and now he's going to conjure up rain mm. and bring it off over the Mediterranean and just inundate the land. So it's a huge polemic, a huge uh, uh, you know, argument against the authority of Baal yeah. showing Yahweh is the one in control. Amen. Massive victory. And amidst this victory, Elijah, even after Carmel, he runs because Jezebel gets very angry because, like, all her prophets have been killed. She sends a message to him saying, basically, next time I see you, you're dead. Yes. And he runs and he hides and he basically says, God, just just take me out there. I'm all alone. I don't know what – And From mountaintop to valley. Like in an instant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's something humanly comforting – to see a prophet who has seen the mighty hand of God on display in a way that none of us could even comprehend in many ways, and yet he still fell into that place of, oh, no, woe is me. God, are you going to be able to save me? Probably not. Just take me out now. Because mm-hmm. um, surely if God can take out all the priests of Baal, surely he could take out Jezebel if he, mm-hmm. if he so chose. Um, and yet he finds himself in this place, and that God meets him there. And an angel brings comfort, brings food, and nourishes him. And there's just this beauty in a God who is near the brokenhearted, even after this mighty display of power. So you see these two pictures of God, yes, mighty, overpowering the false gods, and a God who stoops low to mend the brokenness of this prophet. And he does it in very gentle ways. Yeah. He recognizes that Elijah's a physical being. Not recognize, he knows he is, yeah. but he affirms that yeah. by when Elijah's there in the wilderness and he says, I just want to die. And then God says, rise and eat. Mm. And Elijah rises and eats. God provides food. And then Elijah kind of like collapses and mm-hmm. goes back to sleep. And then he says, arise and eat again. The journey's too great for you. Mm. He is physically exhausted. He's emotionally exhausted. He's mentally exhausted. He might even be, humanly speaking, somewhat traumatized by the events of having oh, yeah. slaughtered. This man is holistically absolutely devastated. And God in his grace meets him in his physical needs, Mm. speaks truth and love to him, Mm. and then brings him to a place of solitude where there can be a healing and a reaffirmation of confidence in the goodness and presence of God. Amen. It's a beautiful story. It really is. It's also a cautionary tale that sometimes on the heels of our greatest victory Mm -hmm. can sometimes be some of our greatest battles and even depressions. I've experienced that. Have you experienced oh, that? Oh, yeah, I for mean, sure. You preach, you teach, and then worst day is Monday, right? Yep, exactly. And it's also, you know, sometimes you just need food and a nap. And sometimes because there's, there's a physical yes. reality of rest and nourishment. Yes. And yes. so that, that's something you can consider. Coffee there as and well. donuts. And coffee. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. As, back on track. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we can debate what did God bring him. It, I think it was coffee you, and a cinnamon sugar donut. The, did did the ravens bring the donuts? That's that's the other question there. Who, but we'll, we'll, who we'll, fried it? <laughs> that is the bigger question. Okay. All those aside. Okay. Um, there is another instance where we see. I can give you poetry. This. If you want. <laughs> I've had enough about that. Okay. Um, there's another interaction between God and Elijah in a cave. Mm. And this is, an, this is an interesting interaction in that God appears to him in this low whisper. First, there's thunder and there's all, all these the earthquake and all this stuff happening, but none of it is God. And yet then at one point there's a low whisper and it says there came a voice to him. What is what are we to learn or glean from this interaction? Because I've heard it said almost like this is the still small voice kind of mindset that this is how God speaks to us in the still small voice. Is that a right understanding, or is there something else God is trying to kind of articulate in this? So when it says that God was not in the wind or mm-hmm. He was not in the earthquake, what it is saying is that that is not God. But I I do think contextually that yeah. we should understand those are heralding the coming of his presence. Mm. Now bear with me for just a moment. Yeah. If we look at this windstorm and this earthquake and the shattering of the cosmos, in other words, that, that's from Elijah's perspective. Yeah. This is the approach of God in tremendous power. Now those are not God, mm-hmm. but they herald the fact that His presence is here. Okay. Now, when you uh, when you when you think about power and ability and authority, how is that communicated? How is that how is that um, how is that described? How do we receive that? Almost in a sense of like cowering, mm-hmm. you know, moving into away from such awesome power. But there's almost this dual comfort of this God who by the very coming of his presence, all of creation shakes. And then he leans down and whispers Mm. in very gentle kindness, Elijah, Mm. I am here. Mm. There is this beautiful duality of you know who I am, but I'm also speaking to you with such gentle kindness. Mm. He's not speaking to him from... Here I am. He could. Yeah. And at other times he does. Yeah. Not, not minimizing that. But in knowing where Elijah is at and that he needs that affirmation, that kindness, and even just that gentleness, mm. he's reminding, you know who I am, Elijah. Yeah. The earth quakes on my approach. But then I lean down and I say, Elijah, I love you. Mm. I'm here. Obey me. Follow me. There's this incredible gentleness that is demonstrated in that still small voice. Mm. Can we make a connection to Jesus from here? Because I, I think we see some of that in the person and work of Christ, mm. the, the the gentle and lowly Christ who mm. comes to us seeking to carry the burden, to uh, give us his rest. But yet, even in the God-man is the power to hold all creation together. Um, And so we see this Jesus who draws near to us and speaks to us through his word. Um, Now, as we read and reflect, uh, he is there and near to us. And so to me, there's just beauty in that, is that this mighty God who makes himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I think the answer is yes. I think that there is a principled line that we can draw between these two points, and it shows the similarity between the Yahweh of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and and Jesus of the New Testament because they are one and the same. Uh, that in the Old Testament you see this great demonstration of power, and yet God leaning down gently mm-hmm. and softly. But there's also an inherent rebuke like, Elijah, do you not trust who I am? Mm. Remember when Peter and Jesus are having this interchange in the middle of a storm? Hmm. Here comes Jesus walking across the water in the middle of a storm. I mean, to walk on water is physically impossible. To do so in the middle of the storm shows that he has complete dominion over the most ravaging elements that we know on planet Earth. He comes kind of on a stroll (laughs) walking through. All of these things herald the fact that this is God. Mm. And then when Peter sinks, he reaches down and says, Peter, why did you doubt? Mm. Do you not know who I am? It's a reminder of who he is to come to him and to find strength in him, just like Yahweh to to Elijah. Don't Mm. you remember who I am? And there is that gentle kindness that come, take my yoke upon you. It's the same thing that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, don't you know I can call down 12 legions of angels, but I'm not so that on the cross I can say, Father, forgive them, Mm. for they know not what they do. Beautiful, beautiful, paradoxical seeming actions of God, but both of them demonstrates great inherent power, yet some of the greatest humility and gentleness that we can possibly comprehend. Amen. And this is the God who loves us, Mm. and that's just the profound truth of God's Word. And sometimes maybe be someone out there listening right now mm-hmm. just needs to be remembered. Be remembered. Be reminded. You are remembered by God, but mm-hmm. be reminded that, hey, God speaks to you. Will you trust me? Mm-hmm. Will you trust me with whatever you're dealing with? Yeah. Even with the hurts, the trials, even the trauma of yeah. Elijah, or even the battles and the storms of Peter. Will you trust me? Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, Nathan, thank you once again. Uh, What a joy to reflect on a God who is both powerful and also near. Yes. What a glorious thing. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this week on Focused on Christ. Uh, Next week, our show is going to look at the dramatic imagery found in the book of Hosea. What does a prophet marrying a prostitute have to do with us today? Uh, The answer, honestly, is life-changing, and so we hope that you'll join us. Until then, you can stay informed with shareable clips and more on our website. Go to FocusedOnChrist.com.